0: Good to see you. Good afternoon. Um, next week, I can say good morning because we are this service will go back to 11 o'clock next week and not 1130. So uh, I know there's something mental that just comes. And when you see noon, your, your tummy just growls. I don't know what that is. But uh, next week, uh, you can accommodate that, but not today. I've got a couple of hours to go with this message. Bring it on. Oh, it's good to see you. It really is. It's just uh, good to be in the presence of the Lord. We are walking through a little letter uh, called Philippians. And I love the Word of God. Not not just to read it and to get the, uh, the text in, in uh, or the facts or the history or that kind of stuff i i really and the the older i get the more i uh, seasoned in my faith the scriptures are as relevant as any newspaper you're going to pick up it, it, we uh we the last year plus um, we have battled lack of contentment lack of joy frustration we uh we've all gone through that and if you haven't man praise god but uh most of us have and and God knew there would be times like this. And, and the book of, of Philippians is taking Paul, a guy that was in prison, had been beaten, gone through everything for his faith, and yet he finds contentment and joy out of everything he's going through. And so we're looking at the secret of contentment, trying to find that recipe for what all we've walked through, and, and uh, it's there. And so we just want to unpack it. As we go into it, we're going to be in Philippians one in just a moment, beginning with verse 12. So uh, you can you can find it, find it on your device. It will be on the screen, but uh, find it and uh, we'll get there in just a minute. So let me give you a thought as we walk into today. Imagine there's you, you get this big old piece of chocolate cake or the big old brownie that's rich and and uh, it's there in front of you. And you take a bite, and the first thing you think is, man, this would be great with that. What is it? Glass of milk, right? And you're thinking, man, I just need a glass of milk with this. Uh, uh, and so you go over to the refrigerator, you pull out the milk, and, and it's been forever since you've had a glass of milk. And you don't, you don't even pour it in a glass. You just unscrew the top, and you start chugging it. And, uh, and and man, all of a sudden you're greeted with something you weren't expecting. There's all of a sudden this bitter and sour in your mouth, almost almost like cottage cheese. It, it's just it's there, and and after you spit it out, what is the next thing you do? You check for the expiration date, right? You, you think, man, how long has this been in there? And you you wonder why it's sour and and uh, and curdled the way it is. It's because the expiration date that they put on there is out of sight. You know, everything has an expiration date except for Twinkies. They have not figured the shelf life out of a Twinkie yet because it's not gone stale in, in, in 30, 50 years, whatever. And, uh, but, hear me. All of us in this room have an expiration date. We, we have a date, a date out there in the future that uh we will we will not be here anymore. And I don't say this to be morbid. I, I I say it because we don't want to think about it. We don't want to even contemplate death. In fact, our culture uh wants to treat death like it doesn't exist. And uh they they did a survey in a college campus to see what college kids thought about the most. And so however they did the survey and they discovered that number two thing that, that uh, college kids thought of, number two the most, was death. And uh, I'll let you figure out what number one is, uh, but number two was death. And, uh, you know, if you go to a funeral, you go to a funeral I've conducted, one of the things I, I love to use because it's such a, a great illustration is, in fact, uh, a few months ago I had a funeral Got, got to the gravesite a little early and I'm looking on tombstones and, uh, tombstones can tell you a whole lot, but, but you look on that tombstone, you've got a birth date, you've got a space or a dash, and then you've got the date of death. And of course we talk about, you know, what is the most important thing? Well, it's that dash or that space. What do you do with the space between birth and death? But reality is that death date is is something that we will all face. And and uh, Paul thought about, he didn't think so much about death. He thought about the transition from this life into the presence of Jesus. He, I think he thought about that. I think he was waiting Jesus to come back at any moment. But he, he lived out of that, and he talks about it quite often. But our culture just doesn't want to deal with it. I read something the other day. I was looking up some statistics. And between the ages of 15 and 35, the number two cause of death between the ages of 15 to 35 is suicide. That, that kind of surprised me. And it just made me think about in our day, we we so often we have a hopeless mentality. And, and it, death is being thought of. It's just not being talked about. Number three, which was interesting, was homicide. Right behind that. So, two, two, uh, violent takings of life. Number one, because everybody wants to, is curious about number one, it was falling asleep in sermons. No, uh, (laughs) it was, uh, it was, uh, let me remember. Oh, it was accidents, things like that. You know, uh, things, things like car accidents or things that just happen out of the blue. But, but suicide and homicide were up there. And so death is something we think about all the time, but we don't talk about it very much. Paul was willing to talk about this transition, uh, all the time. And we're going to look at this. Keep these thoughts in mind as we open God's word today. But, but, uh, we're going to begin in verse 12. I'm going to read. I'm going to stop just like I normally do just to Help you to take notes or mark in your Bible or whatever you might want to do. And I have kind of a title for each stop that I make. The first one I call Advancement, uh, in Imprisonment. Advancement in Imprisonment. Uh, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Uh, this what Paul is telling him, listen, first of all, I want you to know, brothers i don 't want you to be anxious about this i don 't want you to be anxious about everything that 's happened to me, and what did happen what had happened to Paul well. The church had known him. They know when he came to Philippi, this town, he was beaten. He was imprisoned wrongly. Um, he was uh, uh, there. He, he left. He eventually got to Jerusalem. There was riots. He was arrested there. He appeals to Caesar. Uh, there was some guys that actually had a bounty on, there, on his head. They weren't going to even do certain things until he was dead. He makes it to Caesarea because he's eventually headed to Rome. In Caesarea, he's arrested. He eventually gets on a ship in the Mediterranean. He's uh, shipwrecked, almost loses his life there. He gets to Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome. And and then he is going to... The fear of the unknown. What about when he comes before the Caesar or comes before the Roman government? What are they going to do? He was kind of the guinea pig on what they were going to do historically with Christians. And so here he is going through all these things... And what he says was, he says, listen, I don't want you to worry about everything I've gone through. Me, I would be whining, right? But he says, I don't want you to worry about everything I've gone through. In fact, everything I've gone through has served to advance the gospel, advance the good news of Jesus Christ. And the word advance there, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. That word advance has a picture to it. It's a picture of men going before an army and what their responsibility is, is to cut branches and to get debris out of the way so the army can come through. And so what he is saying is all these things, negative as they have been, these things that have happened in my life have actually cleared the way for the gospel to come with power. And then he says this, he says, in fact, the whole imperial guard are talking about it. Well, who were the imperial guard? I mean, that sounds important, but who were they? They would have been um, almost like special ops kind of things Navy SEALs of the Roman uh, government. They were very powerful. They were very skilled. Uh, they, in fact, they were so influential that they together could determine who the next king was going to be because of they had that much influence on the people. And what happens is, is that Paul is now under house arrest. He was in a uh, leased house and uh, people could come and visit him. However, one thing was constant. He would always be chained to an imperial guard. And they would be there with him. And so what would happen? People would come to visit Paul, right? And so as he's talking to them... He would be talking about Jesus. He would be talking about the life in Christ and, and these kind of things. And then when that person left, he would turn to the guard. I can only feature in my mind's eye. He would turn to that guard. He would greet him and then say, hey, man, have I told you I was coming down a road to Damascus one day. And this blinding light just came out of nowhere. And it was Jesus that spoke to me. And my life was eternally changed and never be the same. Have I told you that? Well, Paul, you told me that story yesterday. Yeah, and it's a great story. So that guy does his eight hours. The next one comes in. He changes himself to Paul. And Paul greets him and says, man, have I told you the story how I was coming down the Damascus road? And this blinding light came and It was Jesus. And he forever changed my life. And, And so what happened, these guards now are hearing this message They're going back. They're matching stories with one another. And so the whole guard now is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's just the way God in his way works things. Here's a thought, though, that I I want you to to jot down or to chew on. All events and circumstances in your life, basically, all events and circumstances can be redeemed for the Lord's use. All, everything you've gone through can be redeemed. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, well, Mark, before I came to Jesus, there were some things I did that were really bad, immoral, stuff that I should be dead today. I mean, you, you know, you go through all this. I want you to know, yes, God can redeem that. And he has redeemed that. And he, it can become part of your story. And somebody will say, yeah, Mark, but even after I came to Christ, I I had a marriage that failed or I had a a backslid and I really wandered away from the Lord bad and I did some things that I regret. And and can God redeem that? Yes, he can redeem that. He can redeem whatever. Now, you may choose to continue to walk in that wandering or that sin, and that you made the choice. God loves you and thus he will discipline you. But I'm telling you, he can redeem anything. Anything. He can redeem it and use it for your story in making a difference in somebody else's life. He can do that. Let's go to verse 15 through 18. I call this Christ is proclaimed. It says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's stop. What Paul is saying is, listen, sometimes the gospel is coming from people that instead of Christ's advancement are actually looking for self-advancement. They're looking to get all the eyes put on them instead of on Jesus, but they are sharing the gospel out here. You know, this exists today. You've got people that maybe are sharing truth, but yet their motives are not sincere, and they're uh, almost promoting themselves instead of the gospel. And then you've got other people that in their sincerity and purity of heart they're sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people. And, and Paul is saying this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. As the gospel was going out, Paul was, Paul was one of those guys. Paul wouldn't be a preacher today. Preachers are insecure. Uh, you put us in a group that you start talking about numbers and somebody will come up with more numbers than somebody else and pastors are just insecure babies sometimes. And, uh, and so Paul, Paul's just saying, Paul would rejoice about, with everybody. He, he would just say, hey, the gospel's going out. That's fine with me. And so Christ was being proclaimed and, and Paul would get that out there. Here's the second thought I want you to write down. God has placed you where you are so you can make eternal impact. God has placed you where you are so that you can make eternal impact. I know most of you aren't from here originally. And you're thinking, what brought you here? Well, a job brought me here, family brought me here, whatever brought me here. No. I want you to know God brought you here. And He got you here for a purpose, and it's an eternal purpose. And you can think, well, we chose to live in that neighborhood. No. You can think you chose, but God chose for an eternal purpose. I chose to work here. No. God chose to put you in that job. Uh, I chose to go to this school. No, you didn't. God put you in that school. You can think as much as you want to that you made the choice, but I guarantee you God's behind it. And he's got you there for an eternal purpose. That's why he has you there. And so the way I look at it is that um, if that is true, then what we see is we see uh, missionaries disguised as teachers, missionaries disguised as high-tech workers, missionaries disguised as stay-at-home moms, missionaries disguised as students. What you do is wherever you are, you're there to make eternal impact. And God has placed you there for such a time as this in all of history. And so if that's the case, stick with me. Every delay that you may be going through, look for God. A setback that you may be going through, look for God. A job layoff, a health issue, God may be allowing you to go through that, you look for Him. Uh, in sports terminology, we sometimes use the term, keep your head on a swivel. It means always be looking around. Uh, so you don't get blindsided or something. Keep your head on a swivel. Look around. I think as Christ followers, we need to keep our head on a swivel. Because we want to see God at work. And he works more in the distractions than he works more in the planning. And so we need to know, God, you have put me here for such a time as this. And you knew it all along. But I'm here for eternal purposes is the reason you have put me here. And so think about that as you live your daily life. Uh, let's go to verse 19. I call this, put Christ on display. For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's stop there just a moment. Put Christ on display. Notice what Paul says there. He says, it's my eager expectation. Now, here's what that literally means. It means my one thing, as Brett was saying earlier. It's my one thing. We're going to get to Philippians 3 and he's really going to dwell on that one thing. But this is my one thing. This is my expectation that, that Christ would be displayed in me. That Christ would be displayed in me. He would bro- be brought honor in me. In other words, Christ would be put on display through who I am. And that it would become visible to other people. And that's what he's desiring. That I fix on this objective... Is that Christ will be on display in me. And then verse 21, for to me to live as Christ and die as gain. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. This is what I call heavenly tension. There's a heavenly tension that's almost at war inside of Paul. Part of that heavenly tension was, uh, to live so that he could bring others into the kingdom and share the, the love of Jesus with them. But secondly, there was this tension to depart and be in the presence of the Lord forever. And, uh, we, we think about that tension that is there within all of us. There's a heavenly tension that exists inside of us to, to, uh, go and be with the Lord, but yet, we want to be here. We want to make impact as long as we are here. And here's the deal about Paul. Paul was not a Sunday only Christian. His life was 24 7 following Jesus. He wasn't just a follower of Jesus when he came to church. He wasn't just a follower of Jesus when he was around other Christians. He wasn't just a follower of Jesus on Sundays. His whole life was to follow Jesus. And so he, he think to, to live is Christ. But then to die is gain. What, how is to die a gain uh, for, for Paul? I, th- I think it's this way. It's union and reunion. It's a union with the lover of his soul. The one who gave his life for him. The one who um, uh, is to be honored and glorified. The, the king of all kings. It's the union with him. But it's the reunion With those that have gone before, that great crowd of witnesses, so so many loved ones that have gone before. And and we think about the union and reunion. He's thinking, to live as Christ, I can make impact. But to die is even gain, to to be in the presence of Jesus and those loved ones that have gone before. Uh, The word depart, notice that he uses the word depart in verse 23. The word depart here has two pictures to it. The the first picture is of a tent and you're breaking camp or you're striking camp. You pull up the tent pegs, you fold up the tent, you put away all your gear and you go to the next campsite. That's one picture of the word. The second picture is of a ship weighing anchor and leaving the port and going and you see it on the horizon and then it it goes beyond your sight, but it is still going. And that's the picture he gives of death. It's a departure. It's one of breaking camp. These earth suits will be no more, but we will still continue to be alive, very much alive. Or it's the picture of that wane anchor and, and heading off. Um, during World War II in, uh, in Great Britain, when many pilots were getting killed on a daily basis, they did not report that they had died. What they would put in the report was they have been posted... At another station. And I thought, man, that's that's kind of good. We these earth suits will give out. Uh, but we will be posted at another safe station. Here's the next thought I want you to write down. We are all temporarily here. We have an earthly expiration date. We are all temporarily here. We have an earthly expiration date. Uh, this is for everybody. I know for some. It, uh, it seems abnormal. It seems, uh, premature. A person passes away young. Or a person passes away and they have children. Or, uh, or a, uh, a child passes away before their parents. And, and, and you're thinking, man, this is, this is hard. And you think it's premature. But the reality is, we all have an expiration date. We're all temporary here. We're all, uh, we're all terminal and, and and i know that sounds as mark just say it one more time you you're beating us down but but it's the truth and and i think we need to face the truth because we need to realize it's not just us it's your next door neighbor it's that student that sits beside you it's uh, the person that works next to you have they heard the gospel Have they heard about the love of Jesus Christ? Have they heard about eternal life? But we are all temporal. Let's go verse 27. I call this citizens of the kingdom. Citizens of the kingdom. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I'm going to read that one more time. I would say that's not underlined in your Bible. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Live as citizens of the kingdom. You're thinking, where did I get that? Well, the term... Let your manner of life actually refers to uh, let your manner of living show the citizenship that you have. Now, the, the church in Philippians would have really understood this. I'll tell you how. You see, Rome encompassed, you know, a huge landmass. And yes, there was the Rome city in Italy, but all of these little cities like Philippi, Ephesus, these communities, would be little Romes. Their architecture would resemble Rome, their culture of dress, what they ate, how their entertainment. It would resemble the big city of Rome. And so what he's saying is, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So what he is saying, I want you to know, if you're a follower of Jesus, then what happened is, I can tell you this. I am an American. I was born in the United States. My passport says I'm, I'm a United States citizen. But I want you to know, when I was born again, when I committed my life to Jesus Christ, I got a new passport. My passport said I was part of His kingdom. I was adopted into His family. I'm a citizen of heaven. That's what the, that's what that passport would say. Now, my geographic region, just like those people, they were geographically in Philippi but they were still considered Romans. I am geographically currently in the United States of America, but I want you to know my citizenship is in heaven. I have a kingdom uh, that's of Christ that's beyond this place. And so what he's saying here is let your life be lived in such a way that you show your citizenship that you have. Let it depict who you truly are. And, and Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We represent a kingdom that is not of this earth. And we are to do unashamed, unified. And this gives an incredible picture to the world. Here's your next thought that I want you to write down. As Christ followers, we are to live lives that reflect our true identity. As Christ followers, we are to live lives that reflect our true identity. And when we live conflicting lives, we say we're followers of Jesus. We love God. We love people. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to do. We're called to lay down our lives. We're called to serve other people. We're called to walk in humility. When we don't do that, it's conflicting to a culture that wants to know what we believe. And when we don't live what we say we believe, the culture either says He's not real or you don't know Him. That's what they say. And so we're called to live lives that depict our true identity. And when we don't, the Bible calls it, just like life calls it, it calls it hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy came from the Greek dramas where they would wear masks to display emotions. But they didn't have to have it as an individual. They showed it by the mask. We're, we're a culture of mask wearers. Everybody in our culture wears masks. We have to be careful as followers of Jesus to not display something that is not true. Do we go through hard times? Yes, we go through hard times. But we want to be authentic and transparent about who we are. And we have our faith in Christ. And so when we do not display that, our culture gets conflicted and they'll never come to Christ. That's why repentance begins with the household of God. That's where it begins. And notice what he says. It's considered a privilege to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We don't say that. We live in a day when we express the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. We talk about asking Jesus into your heart. We talk about forgiveness and all of those things. Yes, we, we receive by faith. We receive the gift of Jesus. He paid the price for us. But Paul is saying willing to suffer and it's a privilege to suffer for the gospel. And this is where the elders, we have been praying, is that, God, we have to warn our people that it is going to get harder and harder to be a follower of Jesus in our day. It's going to get harder. And it, it, you're either going to fall away or you're going to stand strong. But we have to warn you that this is what is happening. Oh, well, Mark, you're just trying to scare us. A glass is half empty in your eye. No. Y'all know me, but reality, we can't bury our heads in the sand, but we have to depict what is our true identity. That's what we're called to do. One last thought that you can write down. As long as we have breath, we are to display and engage strenuously in sharing the gospel. As long as we have breath. We are to display and engage strenuously in sharing the gospel. Notice what Paul said in verse 30. He says, you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. The word for conflict here is a picture of a gladiator in the arena. Or it's a picture of an athlete in a, in a life or death situation strenuously Going with everything that's in him. He says, You're engaged in this conflict along with me. Well, what's the what's the engagement? It's living out and displaying and sharing the gospel with people that need Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And we're called um, to display, depict Jesus. So what? What does this really say to to you and me? I think, first of all, I'm I'm, I'm heading into the home stretch. I'm gonna land in this thing. Uh, first of all, I have to ask the question: Do I really know him, or have I bought into some religious mumbo jumbo? I've got to ask myself: Is this real, or is it not real? Especially if things are gonna get harder. Is this real or it's not real? I believe it's real. I believe that Jesus Christ is the King of all kings, and I believe He's going to return one day. I stake my life on it. I, I, it's my identity. It's my citizenship is in His kingdom. That's what I have to believe. I have to ask myself. But then number two, what am I depicting in my life? Is it one of fear and worry and anxiety? Or is it one that truly is built on the one that created everything? I used to... I'm a recovering charcoal cooker. I've not gone propane. I'm recovering, though. I still walk down the street every now and then, and I smell lighter fluid and charcoal. I get the shakes. But... uh But... uh You know what you used to do is you take your charcoal briquettes and you put them in, uh, you pile them together, nice little um, uh, pyramid type thing. You take the lighter fluid, squirt it all over it. Take the match, you drop it in there. You uh, get get the burnt flesh off your hand, and then you uh, let it burn. And what happens is, is those coals start to, uh, they generate the together and they because they're Together they put out this flame and, and then they turn gray and then you kind of scatter them and you, you're ready to cook. And, uh, and so they're together, they're burning, and then they turn gray. And if you take one and set it aside, eventually it, it will burn, burn low because it's not with the group. But wherever, I'm telling you, you can say that coal is burning down, you pick it up you know it's still doing its job. And it's affecting whatever is there. But if I want it to get bright again, I bring it back into the group. And it, it goes. Okay, here this is, this is good. This is worth tweeting what I'm about to say. We need one another. We need to gather together. We need to worship and gather around the Word of God because when we do that, our flame comes together and we need each other. But there's going to come a time where that briquette needs to go over to the school. It needs to go to its workplace. It needs to go to its neighborhood. And it's going to burn there and affect there. And then it comes back together and it gets that energy to burn even more. That's what we're called to do. All of us as followers of Jesus. You've heard of the Gospel of Matthew. You've heard of the Gospel of Mark. You've heard of the Gospel of Luke. You've heard of the Gospel of John. Did you know there's a Gospel of you? You live out the Gospel. And people are reading you on a daily basis.